Hi everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of B2B Now. And on this week's episode, we're going to focus on the, on the topic of white papers. So um, for those that don't know, uh, white papers seem to be, I would say, the go-to piece of marketing content for B2B marketeers. Um, and they have been for some years now in terms of that hero piece of content that typically kickstarts any campaign that's then cascaded out and digitally amplified um, as part of that journey. So I'm going to go to you, John, first. So white papers, you worked in B2B um, longer than I have, um, but you, I assume, would share that, that it's the go-to piece of content. Um, I think it certainly appears to be, doesn't it? I think it's in that marketing mix at the minute. Yeah, I think it's, it definitely appears to be like the I thing that everyone will kind of gravitate to as kind of something to coalesce around for a campaign. But I, and it always feels that kind of maybe people jump to it too soon, you know, and I always get kind of a little bit worried when a client comes and says, we want to do a white paper, but it's not part of a wider kind of sort of thought out process or decision tree or flow that kind of allows the prospect or the customer to kind of find their way naturally. It's almost like the content's getting kind of thrown in front of someone regardless of where they are on the sales timeline. I think that's, potentially more dangerous than having no content and before we dive too deep i guess is, is it worth clarifying what is a white paper i mean i'm, I'm assuming b2b marketers that are listening will know but in case we've got people listening from beyond terms of b2b marketing or marketing generally white papers yeah yeah so it's kind of i suppose the difference is you've got you've got brochures which are very much sales orientated you've then got white papers which tend to have a much more technical and kind of I guess, referenced background to them. So what you're doing at that point is you're actually delivering and showing your expertise and knowledge on a subject. And I'd say that rather, go on, Ollie. Typically less product focused, although often still have a reference to how products and yeah. a, a given problem, but it's a bit more on that kind of thought leadershipy kind of end where they're being informative about the subject while positioning you to presumably want to be, be a, the solution provider for said subject, yeah. The length of a white paper for people that are listening, what we're talking about here. How, how big is a white paper? Is, is there a prescribed? Oh, I've, I've seen anything from, I've seen a two-sided leaflet called a white paper. Yeah. And I've seen a thousand-page thesis called a white paper. And I think... I think that's important, though, because I think people's interpretations of them are different. So in the sense of it's more, I think as long as it's more as that expertise showcase or that thought leadership piece of content that's talking around a subject, a trend, yeah. and it, um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's kind of the typical starting point. Yeah. I think that's why most campaigns start at that level. Mm-hmm. So in the sense of it gives a central piece to then move on from or cascade out, yeah? I think it's a comfort factor as well in that you typically will find, particularly in B2B organisations, that if there's a product, you'll typically have a product manager and a product team sat behind that product with a lot of knowledge as yeah. to why that product does what it does and the problems it solves within a specific marketplace or kind of area. So it's a very easy ball, isn't it, to fall back on knowledge within the business and kind of mind, content mind that rather than going out and looking to kind of either do surveys or look at trends. You can kind of, it's a quick win, I guess, and low-hanging fruit. And do you think it's also Ollie linked to the fact of having it as it's easily amplifiable is the right word but easily amplified so in the sense of um a content piece that you can put out there because typically it forms part of you're driving traffic to somewhere to download something yeah 
and that's often how we see it used by by uh, companies, not only the ones that we work with, but just within the B2B marketing industry or B2B industries in general, is it's a that detailed article piece, whatever it might be, that is is being used to drive leads very often because that's I guess what we've become accustomed to with B2B buyers. It's is looking to buy a, a you know tool, whatever it might be, service then we'll, we'll typically start looking for that white paper and we're not afraid to give our details over because it's, it's giving us that information theory that we need at that point. So yeah, I think it's kind of just become that, that kind of the norm that everybody's kind of adhering to. But they're almost table stakes, aren't they? That's what I was going to In say. In some respects. It's even harder to cut through the noise than it because if you're scrolling through your LinkedIn feed and you've got 10 ads all directing you to different white papers that are all based on similar trends and topics, it's kind of how do you cut through that noise again, I guess, to yeah. gain that traction. And that's kind of where I, I, I say I started really thinking about this um, as, as a, an area where there could be improvement. Uh, I think it was about a year, year or two ago when I was looking at different uh, pieces of marketing technology that we could potentially work with. And you find yourself downloading each of their white papers and then you've got all the different publications putting out white papers on any given subject. And I ended up with a folder on my desktop called White Papers to Read. And, and there were sort of 20 or 30 white papers in there of each one being, I'd say, at least 10 pages in length. And you're sort of, you just realize I'm never going to get around to doing this. So while they've, they've got my details in the process each time and they can follow up, it wasn't actually for serving the purpose for me as a buyer, I suppose, which is giving me the quick information I needed to help make my decision. And that's not yeah. like me. More people might have more time to read. But um, yeah, but I think it's, reading it's where you see them fit, isn't it, in that? Mm-hmm. Kind of mentioned it a minute ago, the sales timeline. Because you're right, there's like at that first, I guess, you know, moment where you're out sort of mining the marketplace for information to build a tech stack, you're going to be looking at what 10, 20, 30, 40 vendors, mm-hmm. which is what 400 plus pages of white paper minimum. Yeah. No one's going to. No one's got the time to read all that. And ultimately, you're probably going to find in the same marketplace that they're going to be around the same subjects and the same conclusions, yeah. except miraculously, SaaS platform A will solve it, as will SaaS platform B, C, D, and E. Yeah, yeah. So what you kind of need... Go where, where do you stand, John, in terms of, I guess, because you touched on already in terms of making sure it fits within the marketing journey and the buyer's journey. But from personal experience, again, my personal experience is occasionally you'll see the... The, the title of a white paper or publication that you're interested in reading. It might be, it might be the top top trends in B2B marketing. Mm. Or something. So I think, okay, cool. I'll have a read of that one. That sounds like something I'm quite curious just to upskill myself in and have a read about. And you download it and you read it and it's garbage quite often, more often than not, you've got two or three pages of stuff. So it's just bait piece content and it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but then immediately you're getting phone calls, you're getting emails, you're getting contact made immediately from people jumping all over you which for me, in terms of what you're saying, in terms of where are you at in that buyer's journey and consideration of that um, needs to form more of a journey in the sense of it's not, yeah. a, it's not a bait piece concept that you're going to instantly convert with. It's part of a wider marketing automation flow, whatever it may be. But I think a lot of people kind of mistake data capture for conversion, don't they? So the, yeah. particularly, I know the way that we do and we recommend is very much it has to be part of a wider campaign. It has to be part of something where you are actually using the sophistication of marketing automation, of CRM, your lead scoring people. Yeah. 
and behaviorally kind of use, use, using analytics to understand what their mindset is at a certain part of the process. Yeah. And in its broadest terms, and while these words aren't particularly accurate, you go from a, a need for marketing information right at the beginning of the cycle to much more technical information at, towards the end of it. And it's working out where, you know, where's that conversion point and where do you need that, that technical spin of, okay, you've given, you've shown me a platform that does all the things that I think it should do or a product or a service or whatever. Okay. Now take me over the edge, show me that you understand the market and that you understand what I'm going through as a prospect or a customer so that I can engage more emotionally with you how often, rather than how often do you think clients, not clients, I guess B2B marketers generally, I guess, are giving genuine consideration of where that fits into that journey. Because I think more, quite often more than not, more than not, it might be my, my observation, but in the sense of we'll end up with a central idea of a topic that they want to produce a product or something, mm. they instantly gravitate towards a white paper to start things off. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. So we have the white paper and then it'll drive to a landing page, call to action, download, get the data, bang. What now? Yeah, so some people are giving consideration to including white paper in that marketing mix. Surely the first point of call is, what, what are we trying to do before that, after that, around that? Yeah, it's the before, during and after. I think, you know, everybody's guilty, whether it's time, budgetary considerations, you know, the need to be in the market. I don't, I think we're all guilty of not maybe looking longer term on a lot of things and kind of having the ability to kind of scope it out and think, well, okay, yeah, I can't remember. It must have changed recently, but the typical B2B buying process is somewhere between 18 to 24 months mm -hmm. obviously that varies with from service to service and product to product but a large you know capex investment isn't going to be isn't going to happen overnight and isn't going to happen off the back of a white paper download on its own mm -hmm. so you then think okay what's the experiential stuff i need to build into this what's the face-to-face -face human contact I need to build into this? How do I nurture this person to a point where they understand our value? Mm -hmm. And the white paper absolutely has a part to play in it. I think the, for me, it's been, it's been proven to work to a degree. And, and I think we've just fallen for this trap now of, of not thinking beyond it. And I think the same as with all content marketing, everybody's jumped on the bandwagon of producing content and we're not necessarily thinking about the value of your content like we've, like we've covered today mm. so, you know, are, are we just giving that top three list of things to consider because that's not really giving me value for where I am in the process you, we, everybody that's producing any kind of content should be thinking about where that buyer is in the process what they're likely to be interested in and how you know, really looking at our content is it actually giving people value or is it just more surface level content that's pointless but you could go off in so many different directions here couldn't you genuinely because i think from the marketeer's perspective and this comes down to sales and marketing alignment but in the sense that we've had it with clients before where they've done a white paper they've generated 300 downloads and the downloads therefore sit where with the data sit on a, sit on a csv file in yep. the uh, marketing execs inbox with them so from a marketeer's perspective i think and i don't think marketers who have got this approach our attitude will survive very long going forward but if their attitude is, well, I've delivered 300 downloads, great. Is, is that a marketing qualified lead, a sales qualified lead, mm. somebody that's got any propensity to buy from you? Where, where, where are you going with that in terms of that, that wider opportunity and flow? But 
white papers probably still have a part to play. But if it's not going to be a white paper, I'll flip it a different way because, you know, white papers, are, I think we, we all agree they still have a place maybe in that marketing mix mm -hmm. differently. And they certainly add value to showcase that expertise and thought leadership ability. But then beyond that, if it's not going to be a white paper that's going to be that hero piece of content that maybe kickstarts that journey of thought, leadership, and expertise, what what else is that? What else should people be thinking about when when the instant mind goes to white paper? What, what what other directions could they go in? I mean, I suppose it's a bit meta to say in in a podcast, but podcasting is a really great way of building a long term relationship. So, I think you know the benefits of B two B now. I think selfishly from a B BDB perspective, are that we cover a lot of topics so it shows our depth and breadth of knowledge and experience mm -hmm. but more importantly i think it gets across our personality so in a world of agencies See. where fundamentally every agency does the same thing yeah. you do buy into people you do buy into their approach their process the way they are with you how they make you feel and it allows us to get our personality across in hopefully an educational hopefully an entertaining way yeah. rather than a what just a white paper on its own well i think, I think for me one of the areas that i've been really keen to explore and we're looking at with a couple of our clients now is is moving i suppose not completely away from the white paper but the evolution of it from the point of view of when somebody downloads the white paper you've generated your lead that's great you don't know what what's happened off the back of it did somebody read it did they engage with it you don't have an option to, to have a call to action within it, except for here's your phone number, an email address or a website address at the end of it. They're thinking about how can we make that experience more engaging, more valuable, understand what's going on within it. So uh, for me, it's something along the lines of, of exploring uh, interactive and digital versions. Previously might have been a white paper and then incorporating that uh, within that kind of the more modern trends for how to write things, particularly online, which is shorter form, um, more to the point because we have to accept the fact that everybody's busy and everybody's kind of more adjusted to having shorter bite-sized pieces of content mm -hmm. um, and having mixed formats of content within that so it doesn't all have yeah. to be it can be written it can be video we can have animation within it we can have graphics and things like that just to help keep that an engaging format um, so yeah that's something I'm really excited about doing I think we'll we'll still bring the benefits of having a lead gen like a light like white paper mm -hmm. But from a, an end user point of view, I think it should be a much more valuable experience that I'll get from it. I think that editorial approach is definitely something that's kind of everything's moving towards that kind of more, apologies for even saying this, that more snackable yeah. level of content where you can, can, I feel really dirty saying that. I might have to go and have a bath after this. But you know, I mean, things are building into those like headline, slight, like, synopsis and then if you want to go deeper go deeper rather than having like the moment you say white paper you you are saying time investment you're, also, you? you're also saying yeah but with time investment it's time to produce it isn't it so even if I'm, you, I'm just talking from the customer point of view not even the agency see internal experts spokespeople mm. technical um sales people whatever it may be alongside that the amount of time that goes into investment in a white paper and money because they're not you know they're not they're not they're not cheap things to produce and design and, and make them pop and differentiate and stand out in terms of that marketing place and really make it hold its value. To actually get that produced is months quite often. Yeah. Whereas when you look at something out quick and really hit the mark and... Um, but then it's quite a nice test and learn mentality, isn't it? Of 
you know, if, for example, I don't know, the white paper was on AirPods. Yep. Rather than go and invest three, four months writing a long kind of white paper on the on the promotion of AirPods, little short, short shots of snackable content around it and then figure out what people are interested in and then follow up individually well, rather than... That, I guess in the test and learn perspective would be, um, as you say, John, if the white paper's even been done and final, but how you promote it and how you amplify that mm. uh, optimization point of view and testing out different titles, images, you name it around it, even landing page elements optimizations you go through. But I think in the sense of quite often the campaigns are set, they're structured, they go, the white paper is promoted and that's it. Whereas yeah. different titles, different imagery and all that kind of thing. And that's all, that's all his bag, not mine. But I know that's more, um, you know, again, should be a consideration alongside it as we, as we continue to optimize as we go. Yeah. And another factor for this is that yeah. I, I can't say, so correct me if I'm wrong in terms of whether clients and other, other B2B companies actually do this, but I can't really say how often we actually consult what uh, the end user, the end reader would even want before creating a white paper. I think more often than not, yeah. the, um, it's the, the product team or whoever is responsible for, the, for that particular technical area is going to come up with the idea for what people want without a lot of um, consideration for necessarily for actually speaking to people and finding out what they want. And sometimes on many occasions, I'm going to assume they're aligned, but there will be occasions where we're out of alignment. And we know that uh, when we've carried out research for yeah. clients. That sometimes sales teams can be completely out of whack, for example, with what they think a customer's perception is. Yeah, there's that, and it's a phrase we've heard a lot, and it's really resonant all the time. It's, you know, stop selling, start helping. And I think you're right. I think there is, and it, you know, as we said earlier, it's an easy go to to say, we've got all this knowledge in house, we've got a bank of product specialists go and write about the subject, mm -hmm. and they'll write about it from their perspective. That's human nature because they're specialists, they're scientists, they're engineers, they will write from the inside out rather than the outside yeah. in. So that's where you need, I guess, the objective lens of an agency or a consultancy to actually say, hang on a minute, we know you've got a solution, but actually what's it solving and how do people want to engage with it? Finally, I guess to kind of taper this one out, but in the sense of the, where, where do you stand on it? We've touched on it people's but in terms of gating things. The white papers, I would say 90% of the time, if not more, are gated by clients mm. because they've got some nugget or some information of value that somebody's willing to give information to get access to. It's subjective, isn't it? It's really dangerous because you might think as a client, Go on, John. You, might think, you might think you've got a nugget of value. Mm -hmm. And let's say the three of us all download the same white paper. Yeah. And I read it and I've given my details and I just think, yeah, I've seen all this before. I feel cheated. Yeah. You read it, have exactly the same response, but Ollie reads it and it's like, oh, actually I'm really engaged. And there's something new that yeah. I didn't think of it that way. And it's kind of for every customer that you kind of engage, how many are you turning off by actually just giving vanilla content to? Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I, is that a case of knowing your buyer then? I think you have to understand where they are, how, how, you know, where are they on the lead scoring kind of journey? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think there's going to be quite a kind of 
almost like a polar shift in terms of how things work moving forward. COVID's been a big leveler, right. but you know, we've all, we've gone through this last five, ten years of we're not giving you anything unless you give us your email or your inside leg measurement or you know, we've all worked with platforms that ask for thirty-two fields to be filled. Yeah. And I think there's gonna be, you know, for buyers market, you know, they're kind of they've got the power now. So actually I think we're going to find a shift where actually they're only going to give it when they're ready. I think people so aren't, we may... aren't as willing either to freely give their information away. I think no. with all the scary things around data and you know yeah. Cambridge Analytica and all the rest of it, not going over stuff we've touched before on podcasts, but I think that the more modern beats and the younger generations are much more reluctant to give that data. Yeah. So unless you and I think there's true value, there's clearly yeah. is what I mean, and maybe you've got to give a bit more away. I know I've with our own stuff into the teasing people in a bit more with more introductory information, yeah. more landing pages. But what's, but then comparatively, think about the value of the lead mm. that's been, the, the information and the name that's been freely given, the value of that compared to one that we've had to extract tooth and nail and have the, you know, their arm up the back to get it mm. is immense. Now, obviously, there's always, you know, attrition within any side of that. But there should theoretically be more value and more propensity to buy from someone who's freely given data rather than been asked for it. There is, but you're going to have. Uh, I don't want to go too long on this because we could end up talking about it for another couple. Oh, of I know hours. it's like always a separate podcast. Sorry, I've just opened the can of worms, haven't I? You're going to have less people that are going to freely give. So yes, you'll have much higher quality from people that have seen the content and and of of therefore contact you off the back of it, but you're going to have a lot less people. And therefore, if if you've captured data, you've got the opportunity to nurture and try and drive people down a funnel. But if you don't have the data in the first place, you can't. So really, I think it's just going to come down to, coming back to Matt's point earlier, test and learn, create, strive to deliver great value in your content, um, and then experiment with your audience and see where that balance lies. You'd be better off doing things ungated. Would you be better off gating things? Do you gate certain things and not others? Just work out where the trigger point is, don't you? Really, I guess of where it's worth having something behind the wall rather than in front of it. I think it's a, I think it's a confusing point in the marketplace for B two B marketers. Though, and it's a it's not even a question. This is maybe more of a statement, but in the sense of everything we've been told, everything's going to be about data going forward. So it's data, it's analytics, it's knowing your customer, it's knowing your buyer, it's having information and insights into their behavior, their buying behavior, mm-hmm. profiles. Um, so if you don't gather that information somehow, um, so if you ungate everything and go down that confidence route of we're putting things out that are valuable enough that truly they'll want to engage with us, which I, I, you know, I, I champion probably more than most, you're not, you're ultimately maybe never going to gather any data, which flies in the face of marketing automation, flows, campaigns, so it's a very contradictory message in the same yeah. gate things, but it's all based around data. And these are the two key messages I think we're getting at the minute where clients are building CRMs and building their databases. But then that, that's what leads to this catch-all marketing, badge scans yeah. and events, um, just desperately trying to gather information from downloads, which probably ultimately might be detrimentally impacting their performance in terms of campaign performance and appetite to actually buy from you. Mm. But I- comment with a qualified opinion because you don't know what you don't know but it's it's just genuinely quite a confusing era i think at the minute across those two two messages that have been sewn out in the marketplace i think you're right who knows what the answer will be ultimately but i would always you know and i think most people would rather go for quality over quantity and you think about 
the ability to nurture and manage and communicate and build a relationship with say 10 key customers yeah. versus you know 500 of nominal value or insight and i suppose that takes us into you know the realms of abm and where actually maybe companies need to be looking outwards more and being more focused on who they want to attract rather than you know the catch-all chucking a line out and hoping mm-hmm. i think you've got to accept that at some point during the, that journey if it's quality information that you're putting out there you will get their information so at some point you will gather that data we'll gather yeah. that information but it might not be it might not be until the seventh or eighth point of contact or more or less who knows but um, at some point you're going to get the data out and if you're doing the right things is what I would yeah. say um, it won't necessarily be on piece one content goes out gather yeah. them, hit them for a sale that's just typically not the way it's working so mm. all right um, anything else to add guys in terms of white papers anything else you want to bring to light yeah. uh, I, I'll throw in a random stat that I read earlier yeah. which is um, only 70 sorry not 70 that'd be great 7% of B2B marketers think that their content is exceptional which I think obviously exceptional is a high bar, but I do think we should be striving for that. And to have only 7% of B2B marketers think that they're hitting that, I think shows that there's probably a long way to go. So if we're, if you're looking at content and you're producing content, think about how you can really make it better. And like we talked about, be delivering the actual value to the people that are going to be reading it. A similar, a similar stat to that, which is interesting, I guess, given 7% think their content's is valuable. Yeah. Over 80% of people think that white papers will form part of their marketing mix in B2B marketing next year. <laughs> Bit of a mismatch there. No, no, but that's probably the point, isn't it? The default yeah. is white paper, yeah. believe in the value of it. So therefore, think about the tactics, think about the strategy. But that's, yeah. that's like when apps came out, isn't it? It's, um, why, why, are you, why have you got an app? Because everyone else has. Yeah. Well, so still not, just... not because it's the right thing to promote my business or service or product. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, thanks very much, guys. Listening. Hope people found that a value in relation to white papers in B2B marketing. Um, as always, feel free to check out our, our ungated um, content hub www.b2bknowledge.com, um, helping our clients, prospects, and contacts navigate the ever-evolving B2B marketing landscape. So, um, thanks very much, and we will see you next week. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.